Hi, this is Jerry Conway, and you're listening to Amazing Spider Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle I'll be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon They'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon The Amazing Spider Talk The Amazing Spider Talk Come swing the air, sit back and prepare For the Amazing Spider Hello and welcome to The Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Hey Dan, and I'm Mark Ginocchio, the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and currently an editor at Superior Spider Talk. Oh, that's great. Good to hear. Coming at ya. Guess what, Mark? What? It's the final Essentials episode of Amazing Spider Talk. My goodness we've did it yay we're here and guess what we hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the spider-man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture dan i i don't know if i can contain myself to do the normal intro here with this milestone it's like our hundredth episode all over again but let me try but 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 not not as spectacular not expect, not even remotely. Anyway, for this episode, we will be discussing our last potential essential comic of the week. It'll be your pick, Dan. Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine, the miniseries from like a few years ago. But it's your pick, so you can justify it by Jason Aaron and Adam Kubert. Then we'll give away some prizes. And then it's uh, it's been a milestone in other neck of the world, uh, in other parts of the world too, Dan, we'll be talking with Swarm, who uh, you know recently celebrated his six month anniversary as our B book review host, and uh, he's probably going to be touting his accomplishments. I think. I think you're probably right. I wanted to answer a quick question for, about um, how the essentials is going to be handled from here this point on. I, we're going to do a vote of what ones you guys think are the essentials, and I know it's a lot to think back on over the past two years of all the things we've been talking about, but um, we're going to do a wrap-up episode, very quick wrap-up episode of the essentials, and then I'll put up on the site a voting form for you guys to fill out of what your essentials are. So hold off on that. Don't send us a ton of questions. You will get to vote on the essentials. Speaking of which... Let's talk about the final one. My pick, which I'm going to attempt to justify, perhaps poorly, Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine.
Man, Dan, with a sales pitch like that, I don't even know why we're having this conversation, but you know, we still have a podcast to do, so why don't you humor me and tell me why you picked this as an essential? Well, you, you've you already laid your thoughts out in the tone of voice you've addressed this episode with, so I might as well just put it out there that I don't think that you think this is essential in any regard. Oh, I don't know about that, but, 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 but this is this is your this is your pitch, Dan. All right, well, yes, okay. Well, in a classic Dan Gavazdan move, I've got another pick that asks the question: Is this just a great comic, or is this a great comic and an essential, or maybe is this even a great comic? Because certainly we've disagreed, like on Spider-Man Reign. But uh, let let me tell you why I chose this for my essentials list. Because yes, I think this is a great comic. And I think this is the kind of story that reminds me of why I read comics. I don't think any other medium could tell a story. I mean, they could. I don't think that they would tell a story as bonkers as this story. Um, and and as successful, I think, as this story. Um, but uh, I think whether or not you feel like this is an essential really depends on how much value you put into Spider-Man and Wolverine's team-up relationship. And I know that like for the longest time, and probably still, Spider-Man and the Human Torches team-ups were considered like <laughs> primo team-up. Like that was the relationship. That's the you know the kind of like uh, rivalrous uh, relationship. Uh, of Spider-Man's life. But I think in like the 90s and at, kind of ever since uh, that like Spider-Man versus Wolverine book, Wolverine has also been kind of up there and people always made a big hay about Spider-Man teaming up with Wolverine. And for my money, this is the best version of that and one of the best Spider-Man team-up stories that there is. Um it's a little more balanced than I think some other Spider-Man team-up stories where like Wolverine is really kind of like also a titular character. Whereas a lot of Spider-Man team-ups tend to be Spider-Man focused with an ancillary character or two, or if he's appearing somewhere else, he seems to be the smaller thing, but it's a nice evenly balanced story. Um, And I felt like, okay, yes, I wanted to include a great story of Spider-Man and Wolverine's relationship because we did a Human Torch story, and team-ups are a really important part of the Spider-Man mythos. And this is, again, one of my favorites of them. Um, I also don't think that there's really many stories that showcase the versatility of Spider-Man more than this story. Um, I think Spider-Verse was trying to do that, and I think this story kind of succeeds where Spider-Verse fails, in that you get, like... You're not getting multi-dimensional Spider-Man, but you're getting Caveman Spider-Man, Cowboy Spider-Man, Dystopian Future Spider-Man, Witch Trial Spider-Man. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Um, and I think that's a lot of fun. And then this is going to be just a personal taste thing. Jason Aaron writing Spider-Man, that might be enough to just make it essential in my book because I think Jason Aaron is one of the best Marvel writers they've ever had. Um, and I would love to see him write Spider-Man for a more prolonged period of time. And just to get to read him in this book, and we've talked about a couple of the other comics he's written that heavily feature Spider-Man and how much we like them. But this to me is like him putting his calling card out saying, let me write this character. Um, so, okay, those are my reasons. Mark, how did I do? I mean, okay, 
I actually can see the arguments for and against this book. I mean, personally, for me, what I would argue for this book is, you know, I think we definitely need some kind of, I think for this list, some kind of representation of a team up story. Uh, you know, my personal choice was the Spider-Man Human Torch one. I mean, this is kind of like the more modern mirror image of that. Not modern in terms of, I mean, Spider-Man Human Torch is only from 2005, and this is only a few years after that. But yeah. as you mentioned, like the Spider-Man Wolverine bromance or whatever you want to call it has, I mean, essentially replaced Spider-Man and Johnny Storm um, for reasons that you can agree with or not agree with. But that's kind of the odd couple, the comic book odd couple now. And I mean, I, I do think that team up stories are an essential part of the Spider-Man mythos. I mean, it's it's funny for someone who consistently kind of gets slagged for being a loner and for not getting along with others. I think it's those team up stories, uh, both like in individual team up books like Marvel team up and Avenging Spider-Man, but also like in these like minis and stuff like that, that really emblemize and, and, and showcase why we have these opinions about Spider-Man kind of being the the sore thumb and the outcast of the superhero universe in Marvel. Um, and that's true in this story too, I think. Yeah. With that said, um, you know, my, my, I think it's a great story and I, I, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm going to disagree with you on the merits of the story and Jason Aaron's writing and Adam Kubert's right uh, art and, and all that. Um, but in terms of it being an essential Spider-Man story, I mean, my my issues with it are, um, first of all, I don't feel like, you know, the, the rogues that are in this, they're not like they're not Spider-Man rogues. They're kind of I mean, I don't even know if I'm showing my ignorance to the X-Men universe. I don't even know if they're like considered big X-Men villains or anything like that. So, like, are you specifically talking about Mojo? Yeah. You know, we have that. We you you talked about kind of the 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 time jumping and the kind of the cosmic qualities of the story, which you know we've talked about this in other debates on this show for the essentials. I mean, you know, we I I, I at the end of the day feel Spidey works best as as a street level character, and there's very little outside of the bank robbery that's street level about this book. Um, it's it's that's true. Very not street level. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, we'll talk about this probably in more detail, too. The relationship, you know, we have a, 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 a romance in this book with Spider-Man with a character that kind of comes out of nowhere, intentionally so. Um, and again, like, you know, when you're thinking about the loves of Spider-Man and, and kind of how romance and 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 relationships have worked in spider-man's life from an essential standpoint i don't think this the 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 character in this the sarah kind of checks any of those boxes in terms of really emblemizing and and accentuating spider-man in love necessarily yeah not that she's a poorly written character but it's like you know like you know, we've talked about we've we've had mj stories we've had gwen stories and we've had black cat stories and you know, at the end of the day, those are kind of like the the girls <laughs> um, when it comes to Spider-Man. So, I mean, again, I, 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 
I can see the logic in this, and 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 I think there's an argument to be made in terms of, you know, you want to have a team up story, and this is a very good team up story, and um, maybe that in it in of itself makes the case. But I mean, I think some of these other th- issues that I just brought up kind of move it out of the essential category for me. Yeah, I think those are all good points. Um, one other thing I wanted to say um, about this book, and this might be more like a Marvel-oriented uh, comment versus a Spider-Man-oriented comment, is that I think this book is one of those few books that really leverages the history of Marvel and the diversity of the content of Marvel to its benefit. I mean, we get, you know, from Doom, the living planet, to the you know Dark Phoenix bullets, mm. we kind of get like everything from the Marvel universe in here. But I think what what I want to put this in the pro essentials column for Spider Man is that actually it really incorporates a lot of Spider Man history in here too. Like when we go to the dystopic future, Spider Man is a teacher and he's teaching kids you know um Mm. we get to see him in many different status quotes that he's been in over the years as a kind of like summary of who peter is and his character we even get a moment where uh wolverine is sent into spider-man back in time into spider-man's origin story uh to fight him in the wrestling ring uh ring yes and and they're walking down the street and wolverine's gonna go into the bank where they start off at and like rob the bank and Peter's like, I'm not going to stop you. It's not my duty to stop you, you know, because he hasn't learned his lesson yet. And, right, uh, right. and I think those are kind of clever ways to utilize Spider-Man history to, like, enhance this team up. Um, I don't know if that's enough to push it in the essentials column. But, like, again, I just wanted to highlight some of the cool ways it utilizes Spider-Man in the story. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely clever and it's definitely smart and you know I I don't think in any way shape or form it betrays the characters. I mean I do I I there are parts in this and you know when I wrote about this storyline for um I I I did I think this was number two in my um best Spider-Man mutant stories um back when oh god I was like I think over a year ago I did that list for the the site. Um, you know, I did kind of joke like, man, like Peter is like Reed Richards level smart in this comic, which I thought was a little bit of a stretch. No pun intended. Um, oh, but, oh I see what I did there. But like I said, I, I don't think this betrays the characters in any way in terms of their history and who they are and, and how they would react to each other. I mean, you know, the, the whole Spider-Man-Wolverine dynamic. I mean, what do you think of that? Putting aside this story, like, what do you think of the fact that Wolverine has kind of become the second banana team-up mainstay for Peter, for Spider-Man? Well, I'll tell you, as a kid, uh, I would seek out these stories. Like, I, I really liked Wolverine, and I really liked Spider-Man, and... And obviously that's what Marvel was going for is to, you know, with all these stories is to kind of uh, get the people who are fans of both to pick it up. And and I always prioritized those. I would dig through boxes to find, 
you know, because I, I like that dynamic, and I, I say I still really like that dynamic. I think it's different enough from his dynamic with the Human Torch to make it one worth focusing on. Like, with the Human Torch, the dynamic is, like, almost like two pranksters, you know, like, uh, trying to out-seek each other for the spotlight. You yeah, know I, mean? I mean, I mean, one of the things that in Spider-Man Human Torch that Dan Slott hit upon that I thought was really smart about the Spider-Man Human Torch dynamic was, I mean, they're, they're essentially, they're two kids, uh, whereas one is constantly torturing himself over the lesson of responsibility, whereas the other one really never had to worry about responsibility. And that's why they have that love-hate thing going on. Um, with Spider-Man and Wolverine, it's a little... M- I think it's a little less nuanced than that. It's, you know, Spider-Man is kind of here more of the, I don't want to say the virtuous hero, but the more traditional hero. And Wolverine is the anti-hero, the ends justify the means kind of hero, darker. And, you know, it's an interesting juxtaposition with Spider-Man. But, like, I also don't know if outside of the fact that, hey, you know, Wolverine's a cool cool character if that can't be if that juxtaposition can't be represented any differently than any other anti-hero like a punisher or you know a moon knight or something like that you know what i mean so that yeah. like that's um that's where not that i don't like it i do but it's always kind of surprised me beyond the sales, the sales and dollars and cents of it, why those two characters have kind of stuck together over the last two decades or so. I, I mean, I think one of the reasons is because there's an easy story to tell about, you know, whether or not to kill or any of these other kind of moral question, moral grays that the two yeah. characters would find them on the opposite ends of. And um, I kind of like that this story doesn't really focus on that so mm. much. There's not a lot of like hemming and hawing about Spider-Man. Like I'm not going to partner up with you because you kill people, you know, right. it's kind of like Wolverine. I think in this story, it's a lot more like Wolverine is a lot uh, more matter of fact about we're stuck here. I don't really care about my actions and I'm just going to do whatever because there's not really a sense of optimism from him. Um, right. I mean, and meanwhile, Peter's always trying to solve some problems. And, and, and you see how the two of them solve their problems very differently without the kind of, like, overly analytical moral debate that typically occupies these stories. I mean, like, I'd say Spider-Man versus Wolverine is almost all about that until, yeah, I think it takes it maybe a step too far having Spider-Man kill yes. someone by accident, even though that's an interesting route to go. Um this is just not it's more preoccupied with having crazy fun yeah. in the Marvel universe. Yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I feel like the Spider-Man vs. Wolverine is more about deconstructing these heroes, specifically Spider-Man. Whereas there's no deconstruction here. And that's not a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. I th- I feel like there was in the eighties and nineties too much deconstruction because, you know, everyone was trying to like out Alan Moore and out Frank Miller each other you know like yeah 
Like, like, let's just have some good old fashioned fun, which is what this is. I mean, yeah. you know, like as as you've pointed out. Um, but I think I think the typical Spider-Man Wolverine story is about like creating fusions between the like you know like like creating like a chasm between the two characters, and this one is about like bridging that gap to the point that by the end they're blo- blo- they're blood brothers with each other. Um, and I, I I love that moment, and I love the kind of final image of this book with the Wolverine's glove with the cut in it with the uh, scar healed over. Um, I think it's a pretty cool visual reference for their friendship. Yeah. Um, probably only to be outdone by, Oh, is it an, is it an Avengers book or a Spider-Man book where like they're complaining about Norman Osborn and like fist bumping each other. Oh, that's an amazing Spider-Man. Um, uh, that American son. Yeah. That's American son. Yeah. I, I just like that little, <laughs> it's a cool bro- moment. Yeah. That little bromance moment. <laughs> <laughs> Took eight years to get rid of the last one. Pump. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to. Re- I need to go back and reread that book. Um, but yeah. So, um, what do you think about the villains in this comic? Uh well, there's so there's like the two kind of thuggish villains with baseball bats and diamonds and all that stuff. Right. Um. Time traveling diamonds. I keep wanting to call them Tick and Tack because there are these two performers that used to perform in Washington Square Park named Tick and Tack, who they remind me of visually uh-huh. at least. Um, at, but the, it's not their names. It's like Murder Face or something like that. Um, I'm forgetting. They're pretty. The names. They're pretty generic. Yeah, uh, they're they're fine. Um, I think there's like an interesting time travel thing where they like meet their older selves and stuff, but, and Mojo, they're all forgettable because the real stars of the show are Spider-Man and Wolverine. Like, right. Well, I, I know, yeah. I know, but would but it have like, been better uh, if it was like Mysterio or something? Probably. Right. Um, yeah. Mojo to me is always a like cop out deus ex machina character where it's like, things are so crazy. It was all Mojo world, you know, or it's like the end of the game. Like it was all an elaborate trick for your birthday. Right, right, right. Um, right. but, uh, I don't mind it because like it's consistent throughout. There's, they seed in the elements of these characters throughout all the stories. I mean, to say this story is great at like kind of confusing you for the first three issues, and then that it really rewards on second reading. But um, yeah, I, they're not strong, but they're it also doesn't bother me because they're clearly not the focus. Right, and then of course, what do you think of Sarah, the love interest in this? I mean, it's it's certainly a random choice to me, and I like. You know, I have I had some issues with it, not to be one of one of those readers. But I mean, you know, this was a few years removed from um, one more day with the breakup of Peter and Mary Jane. And not that like Peter can never date again or anything like that. But like, you know, we're in a limited series and he's like in a time traveling thing. And it's like, you know, was this was this whole relationship established to just kind of really really 
turn the screw even more from Marvel, like, and Peter will never find happiness. So don't you even think about it. You know what I mean? Like it's because you knew it was so obvious that that, that it wasn't going to happen for many logistical reasons. But but kind of putting that in tandem with one more day, it's not like he's had some semblance of happiness since then. And, and that just didn't work out due to circumstance. I mean, this was this was designed to fail. Um, yeah, and, well, know, for readers, for listeners who haven't read the book, he actually is planning to propose to this woman uh, before the diamond in the ring that he's proposing to her with teleports him through time. Yeah, I agree with you. It's problematic, I and mean, and she really doesn't even really appear as a character until the final issue of this st- story. I mean, she right. appears in issue five briefly. Because he's been having these like dreams about her, but it's all been programmed into him by the Mojo people. Um, like he's carving those rocks, and there's like a great callback to that in the final issue where he, w- he walks by the kind of like Metropolitan Museum of Art, and there's uh, there's images of the you know rocks that he had carved. But um, yeah, I think it's a little weak, and I, I think it would have been fine if he didn't try to go for an emotional sting at the end, where he, like, approaches her, and you're supposed to feel kind of bad for him that she doesn't remember him. It's, right. It's, and it's also kind of, like, logistically wishy-washy. There's no real explanation for why she doesn't remember, but everybody else seems to. Um, so... Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't bother me a ton, but it, yeah, it's a it's a weaker moment in the series. Um, and I think I like the final issue of this, but I know a lot of people had problems with it because it kind of like issue five ends with Wolverine becoming the Dark Phoenix, and mm. then in issue six they kind of like wrap that up off panel. Um, yeah. And I could see you being like, I want to see Dark Wolverine, Phoenix, whatever. Um, but I like how low key the last issue is. It's very like, uh, reflective and it doesn't choose to focus on that big dramatic action. And, um, I don't know that the solemnity of it is really interesting to me. And, um, and it focuses on the bond between Spider-Man and Wolverine. And I think it was a stronger choice, even if it leaves some things dangling, like the Sarah stuff and, um, yeah. I mean, I think if you if you recall, Dan, I mean, a couple of years ago, I didn't really like this story. Yeah. And and I think that was because in large part, the first time I read it, I felt like. Like things weren't resolved properly, things were missing, things were off panel. And, you know, I, I, I will readily admit subsequent subsequent reads I had kind of opened my eyes to what makes the story so worthwhile, you know, it's more, it's more nuanced. It's, it's, it's more, uh, like you say, it's more about this relationship. I I mean, to me, it's also, and I think, um, I'm pretty sure he talked about this when he was on our show, Kubert's talk, you know, kind of just the, the wild rangingness of the art and the locales and just kind of how we, it just moves and nothing is wasted. It's, you know, very tight. This whole thing, even I mean, you know, even putting aside what's not resolved, I do feel like the 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 art is tight. Um, And the story, the story is mostly tight. I mean, like even things like the meteor that's going to destroy them in issue one is resolved in issue six. That like 
not only did the meteor kill the dinosaurs, it also had all these gems in it or diamonds that allowed them to time travel. Like right. there's cool things like that where like you're like, oh, it all kind of fits into a certain place. Yeah. So interesting choice. What else you you got anything else you want to Well, bring I, up? I you just mentioned Adam Kubert. I can't believe we haven't mentioned him yet in this conversation because I kind of think this is like the best work he's ever done in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, there's the three page fold out of doom. The living planet is got to be one of the coolest spreads Marvel's ever produced. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly, it's certainly his finest Spider-Man work. That's, that's no, no question. I mean, yeah. and we liked his work on renew your vows, but um, this is just, I don't know. Like this is a wonder of the world in terms of how the art is set up. Yeah, I love his bearded Peter Parker. Uh, I don't know why I like that so much, but I like seeing Peter with a beard. Like, yeah, no, there was a, just a lot of like really cool costume and character designs in this comic throughout. I mean, it's just it's so rangy. I, I, I love that. Also, why haven't why have I never seen a Spider-Man and Wolverine in Diamond Bling cosplay? Gotta make it happen, man. <laughs> the Wolverine with the uh, with the claws covered in diamonds is got to be the best thing ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's so ridiculous. Uh, I mean, this book is hysterical, and uh, I I don't know. It's just like give Jason Aaron more chances to write Spidey, um, or more chances to write every character in the Marvel universe, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think you gotta like take a number in terms of people wanting Jason Aaron on their their Marvel books. Right, right. Uh, I mean, I love his Doctor Strange, man. That book is just out of this world. It's different, that's for certain. And of course, the Thor is just great. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, very right. cool. Um, I mean, regardless of whether it's an essential, I love this book and highly recommend people check it out. Um, and if you, yeah, I mean, it's something you could have very easily missed. Although most Marvel fans probably would have picked up a Spider-Man and Wolverine book with this kind of talent on it. Yeah, but it is. It did just kind of like come out in the midst of um, was this what was this early two thousand eleven? Yeah, something take? like that. Yeah. So like you know, Dan, you know, Dan Slott had just taken over scripting ASM full time. So I mean, you know, it like you said, it could have very easily been missed. Yeah. So check All it right. out. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, why don't, why don't we why don't we talk about our our super duper fan club, Dan? Sure. It's the friendly neighborhood spider dog members club. It's the club with the incredibly low budget name. Yeah, the friendly neighborhood spider dog members club. Time for new members to get fifteen minutes of fame. And Bailey. Well, it's the Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. That's our Patreon club that lets you behind the scenes of our show. You're going to get all kinds of awesome things in the mail from comics to backpacks to stickers to who knows what, T-shirts even. And uh, we also like to do a bunch of giveaways on the show every other week or so. Uh, But first up, uh, we have a couple new members uh, joining our club. Uh, Mark, I love listening to you butcher names. These ones aren't so bad, but why don't you give it a shot? Who are our new members this week? 
No, the first one is Clint Banesh, and that's probably me butchering it. And the other one is Peter Haggard. I feel like, did Peter write in recently? Because I, I think I've made fun of the last name Haggard. You did. He wrote in and he joined our club. So why not? Uh, thank you, Peter and Clint, for, for joining up and helping support the continued existence of our show. Um, part of being a member of our show is that you get entered into these raffles. And we're doing a raffle for another comic collection this week. And it's... One of my, one of our favorites, Mark. What are we giving away? Yeah, it's Spider Woman Volume One. Uh, that would be, uh, I'm assuming, the Dennis Hopeless. And um, well, if it's the first volume that has some art from, who were the art people on that? It was before it was Javier Rodriguez. It was. Oh no, um, we're doing we're doing Volume One of the relaunch. Uh, oh, oh, my bad, pre- my preg- bad. Pregnant Jess and Javier Rodriguez, which I think is probably the peak of that book absolutely sorry sorry for my misinterpretation no that's totally fine uh so yeah uh, i'll be raffling that off and i think a lot of people probably haven't read that so i hope it goes to the hands of someone who uh has never checked out that title um so that's very cool um we'll find out in a couple weeks who won it so thanks again for the support everybody and if you want to join our club Head on over to our websites and click on the button that reads, Mark, I'm going to have you say this. The Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. Why did we name it that? That's my Adam Sandler voice. Oh, why indeed. All right, let's move on to the next segment of our show, which is the dreaded Swarms B title reviews. Animated Nazi skeleton. A reanimated Nazi skeleton. Reviewing B titles while he's covered in bees. Reviewing B titles while he's covered in bees. Actually, he's permanently covered in bees. Actually, he's permanently covered in bees. He's coming for this podcast. He's coming for you. He's coming for this podcast. He's coming for you. It's time for Swarms B title reviews. It's time for Swarms B title reviews. So, Dan, it's been about six months since the uh the online election that shook the foundations of the fake podcast media to its core so you know i i wish we could have marked 100 days but i mean that's just a fake milestone anyway right yeah it's not like Uh, we had a contract with our listeners to mark that anniversary exactly it's not like anybody has a contract to mark that anniversary but you know people do and people get crazy about it but um so speaking of crazy um, with Swarm's anniversary coming up, I, I, I thought we should have him on and, you know, let's hear from him directly about what kind of progress he's made, his accomplishments. I mean, you know, outside of just being a general jerk on Twitter, I, I don't know what he's accomplished, but, but maybe I'm wrong. Let's, let's hear from him. We got to give him a chance, right, Dan? Yeah, sure. So come on in, Swarm. Yes. I am back on your show, and I don't know why I'm here, because you're all fake news. Well, you know, Swarm, uh, in the six months you've been on the podcast, which is, you know, despite being fake news, is a real thing. We are podcasting, and you're a part of it. I think you probably would have preferred your old life. You found yourself besieged, besieged, besieged by some controversy. How do you think you're performing? <laughs> besieged, huh? More bee puns, great. Yes, you're so great, huh? Well, what do you, what do you, 
What, what, what are you doing, fake news, dishonest podcast media? You failed to recognize it's what an arousing success I have been since joining your show. Arousing uh, success? You've been accused of collusion with an international bee species. You've blamed your predecessor, Flash Thompson, of wrongdoing without evidence or cause. Not to mention, and I don't like having to admit this to our listeners, but I think our downloads are actually down since you joined the show. There you go again with the fake news. Fake news. No, you're fake news. Since joining, this has been the most downloaded podcast, period. I am the most successful beatbook show the world has ever seen. In fact, if I wanted to do my own podcast show, I could do it and would be more successful than Amazing Spider Talk. I talked to someone once for 10 minutes and I know that it's easier than this. Then why don't you just go do it? I can see it now. Swarmcast. Oh, look at you. Look at you with your own show. Just go... Do it, Swarm. Well, maybe I will. Well, uh, uh, hold on. Uh, look, look at the time. Look at the time. It's time for me to play play some some bee golf at the Honeybrook Golf Club. Uh, I'm surprised. I'm surprised he's not doing frisbee golf. Oh, Dad! Even I thought that's a cheap one. Come uh, on. Oh. Well, I, you know, I, I guess he really didn't get a chance to defend his record there. You know, we're just we're we're just jumping down his throat, Dan. I mean, you know. Like he's just gonna have to go back to you know the summer bee house or the winter bee house uh, down in uh, in Honeybrook. Well, we and, ne- uh, we never said we were news. We're pundits. Yeah. Well, Dan, um, since since we've last done some bee book stuff, um, we've had a couple of books of note come out, including a new series, Scarlet Spider Number One, and the uh, the much ballyhooed return of. Eddie Brock to the Venom series. Um, why don't we quickly talk about Scarlet Spider first, since um, that's a, even a little more recent. Um, you know, Dan, I think we were both a little, I don't want to say anxious, because that actually gives it true stakes here, but we were kind of like, what is this book going to be? And, um, you know, with Peter David, Mark Bagley, two, two talented and, and established creators doing a Spider-Man book, um, with this new Ben Riley character who is just, you know, anyway. But after reading this issue, I got to tell you, Dan, I'm thinking even more now. What is this book? It is truly bizarre. Uh, it is a strange, strange book. What's, what's strange to me is uh, it does almost no work to establish itself as a number one of a book. He's in Vegas for some reason. <laughs> He's got some yet-to-be-determined uh, role in Vegas. He's trying to meet with someone we don't know who. There's right. very little in the ways of getting readers on board. This is like, I mean, a very niche title with a very odd tone. Um, and that's not to say I disliked the tone. Uh, I just I don't know what to think of it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely, you know, not for nothing, and I'm not trying to say that Peter David's a one-trick pony, but, like, it did actually kind of read a lot like how his first few issues of the original run of 2099 read. Not the original from the 90s, I mean, like, the reboot from a few years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of smart-alecky and smarmy, and, and, and Bagley's art is, is, is great. I mean, it is nice to see Bagley kind of back in Spider-Man world again but like yeah like like this it's not you know i mean we've kind of had to abandon the 
the idea that we're going to get the Ben Riley of yesteryear in, in this modern Marvel universe right now. But like, this is really like off the reservation in terms of who this character is. And, and with that in mind, I just don't know what, what, what is this book trying to be? I mean, it's just like another anti-hero book. Is this like going to be just kind of a smart alecky book, like for for people who remember this character from the '90s but don't really care that it's not that doesn't sound like that character from the '90s? I, I like, I I don't even by saying it's not that it's bad, but I just don't see how this book is going to succeed. It just seems so like without without a without an actual Nietzsche hook. Yeah, um, what really confused me is, I don't know if you read the letters page in this book that kind of like is the editor talking to the audience. He's like, I can't wait for you to read the rest of this book. Peter David is turning in comedy gold. You know, like, this is going to be a really funny series. And reading this book, I'm like, I could see where you could think, you know, this is comedic writing, but it's so gruesome like, yeah. uh, like I, I, I don't think it's funny. I think it's like demented. Um, it's almost, it's almost like Deadpool without the fourth wall stuff. Yeah, no, that's really, that's really good. I mean, we've even got like you know his like demented aunt friend, and I, I like the idea that Ben is like creating his own like separate version of Spider-Man's supporting cast. You know, he like saves this woman that looks like Mary Jane, and then is like. You know, oh, I, you know, nice red hair. You look like Mary Jane or whatever. And then he like starts talking to this woman as if she's Aunt May. I'm like Aunt June. <laughs> Aunt June, like yeah, right. Like yeah, but like I, yeah, I def I definitely wanted to say, do you mean Blind Al? Because that's what you're going for here. I mean, like right. very Deadpoolish. It's but like why? But like why? Why is the character acting this way? I mean, it's it's in line with the bizarre character term turn in the clone conspiracy in that like I understand that this character would have a different philosophy about life and death, etc. but I don't know why he's this kind of like Joker esque or Deadpool esque madman. Um I mean for me the only true hook in this is like seeing Kane track this guy down and get rid of him. Because like I don't really want Ben Riley back if this is going to be what he is. But at the same time, this book is so bizarre. I like, I'm kind of interested in following through on it. But like, I, I mean, I am not the, like a, a mainstream audience. No, no. And, and I, I will be curious to see from a sales perspective how big of a drop between one and two and then even more so between two and three because I just can't see... I, I could be wrong, but like, I mean, even, you know, 2099, it kind of lost its big, the bulk of its readership initially, but it's kind of held steady for a while now. And I think it kind of has its audience and, you know, the character for better or for worse is still in line with what we got back in the day with the character from the nineties and stuff like that. So there's, there's, th there's that hook. I mean, this is like, basically a whole new character masquerading as an old character. Um, but outside of the name on the front of the book, there's nothing that's tethering that to the past. So, um, I mean, say what you will about Peter David, but he has his following. I mean, he raised $68,000 in like a week online 
just by yeah. for, for nothing for asking for money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, must be nice. <laughs> yeah, it must <laughs> be nice, right? Um, Sorry, that, that that sounded bitter. Um, no, I mean the guy was in trouble, you know. But yeah, like, yeah, right. It's not just anybody can snap their fingers and have people show up uh, ready to support them, you know. Right. Um, and clearly, those people continue to pick up twenty ninety nine. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it is it is a strange title. I like some of the like visual things, like the idea of that the. Ben Riley and, and like the original Scarlet Spider and the Jackal costume are like manifestations of his twisted mind. But like, yeah. is he mentally unwell? Like, does he have a mental disorder? I'm not sure. I just don't know who this character is. Yeah. Um, well, they always said that Deadpool was kind of a rip off the of Spider-Man. So there you go. Complete the circle. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we kind of go from something that was unexpected and kind of chaotic, but not necessarily bad, to this Eddie Brock Venom thing, which, you know, Marvel, bless its heart, has was promoting for months in advance. And, you know, I, I really... Was it Kane who reviewed it on the website? I, I forget who wrote the review, but, you know, like... It just like I I really agreed with the fact that they were talking about how like you know there was no suspense to reuniting Eddie with the costume to the point where like you know like it, it was just a device and it, it just this whole thing just kind of felt like a device and a gimmick and I was really let down by it at the end of the day uh, in terms of Eddie Brock and Venom what what about you Yeah well I just want to say our review is done by Eric Wilson who's been doing awesome stuff on the site. Right. Kane, Kane has Eric. Kane has been too. Uh okay. they're two big power hitters on our site. Um but uh yeah, I I agree. I mean, I think first of all, the, like the one of the first problems is that the fine like this doesn't the return of Eddie Brock doesn't really even happen in this book. It's the final <laughs> page of the book. Right. Um I'm trying to think of something akin to this and there's just too many to to say because this is a problem that happens a lot in these books. Um, and Mark, would you get into another argument about what's the first reappearance of Venom? Is it is it Venom Six or Venom One Fifty in oh, this God. case? No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not going to re- relitigate that conversation. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, the character turn of Eddie Brock is just straight up baffling. In this, you've got a guy who sees himself as a messianic figure whose main goal is taking out the Venom symbiote, and here he's just snapping a guy's neck and straight up murdering people to get it back. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, very, very deus machina in terms of like, oh, we just need to get back to this point because we want to write stories. And I don't necessarily disagree with kind of bringing this version of Venom back um, because it, it, it has been a while and, you know, things have run, run its course and but, I don't know, like you gotta do better than this, I think. Like, this is just way too swift and random with no build and no, you know, no anticipation outside of um, you know, Marvel marketing blitzing of, you know, we're going to renumber the book. And I don't know, like just, like I said, very disappointed. Yeah. 
Which is a shame. Because we both yeah. want we both wanted this to be good. I think it's safe to say both of our like fa- like Venom represents a real reason both of us got into Spider Man. Yeah. And and also not for nothing, I thought the work that Mike Costa was doing writing this book prior to this was very solid. Um and I would hate to see his good work get derailed because of, you know, marketing. <laughs> Yeah. How how nineties? How venom how nineties venomish of them. <laughs> I'm open to them justifying it in future issues, but if they just kind of gl- like gloss past this, it's like throwing away like ten or fifteen years of characterization. And it's funny because they they featured I don't know if you read this in the letters page in the back, they featured a letter from uh the guy who runs the Venom site, uh saying like how displeased he would be if Eddie just become, comes back and becomes a maniac uh, after what was done in the Wonderful Carnage series. And that right. was exactly what they did within this issue. So it's like his letter appears at yeah. the end of the book complaining of, like from the past about what they're doing in the very book itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what are you going to do? Right. All right, Dan. Well... Those are our two B books for the week. And, you know, obviously you can go to superiorspiretalk.com to read reviews from our great team from other B books. Um, so then why don't you get the go home process going? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, of course, like Mark just said, you can head over to our site uh, and you can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and our old Superior Spider Talk podcast there. And uh, you can also find them all on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and also on YouTube. And if you do, please be sure to leave us a rating. That's specifically on iTunes uh, so that we know what you think of the show and uh, help us connect to other people out in the world. The more reviews we get, the more it gets pushed on Apple's algorithms and people find our show and all the happy kismet of people discovering our show continuing. And like Swarm said, our download numbers are down. Mark, heaven forbid, our download numbers go down. I know. Like, we need to, like, get ahead of, like, those crooked media people and all their, like, juggernaut podcasts right now, like Pod Save America and stuff like that. Come on. Just download and review us and get us back up on the top of the charts, guys. Absolutely. And also, if you have any opinions on the comics we talked about today or any questions, please be sure to email them to us at amazingspidertalk at gmail.com. Keep them short and to the point. Also, call us at 9RedGoblin and tweet at us with OK to print as a hashtag, and we'll be sure to address and read them on the air. Short and to the point, Dan, like you. How is no. how is that? So I'm not that short. No, I I I, I got nothing. Not all oh. of us can be towering gargantuans like you, Mark. It's true. I am I am large and in, in, in charge. Uh, also, be sure to check out both of our Facebook pages and subscribe to our brother podcast, The Ultimate Spin, to keep up with the adventures of Spider Gwen and Miles Morales, and to get some scoopy scoopy scoops while you're there. Oh, look at that riff you just went on. Scoopy scoops. Like I, every time I think of scoopy scoops, I think of like like the Tostitos scoops with the salsa. It's delicious. We are not brought to you by Tostitos. Oh, I was thinking of Kellogg's Raisin Brands. Two scoops oh, of raisins sco- in every bowl. 
And we are not brought to you by <laughs> Kellogg's Raisin Bran. <laughs> How many more marketing blitzes can we go on here? We're not brought to you by any kind of, of bran, flakes, and raisin cereal product. Mark, I'm actually going to go head out to a rally downtown. Uh, I'm going to bring some Pepsi. You coming? <laughs> God, it's awful. <laughs> Mark, if we if you wanted to read some scoopy scoops that you were breaking on the internet this week, where do we go? Oh, man. Well, you know, <laughs> I'm just laughing at your Pepsi joke. Um, you can find me on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com and ChasingAmazingBlog.com. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at ChasingASMBlog. And please pre-order my book, 100 Things. Spider-Man fans should know and do before they die. Available at triumphbooks.com and wherever books are sold. That's really exciting, Mark. I can't wait to read it. Hint, I hint. know you can't. And, and, the, <laughs> and the author, my author copies came in. And, and Dan, I need to drop yours in the mail. So be on the lookout. Well, Dan, you know, after I drop your book in the mail, you can then tell me where we can find you online. You know where to find me in real life, but if you wanted to follow me online, you can follow me on at SupSpiderTalk on Twitter or my personal account at Dan Gavazdin, where I'm, I think, still fighting my way through Hyrule. Who knows how much of a binge I've gone on. I could still be, by the time you hear this, trudging my way through Hyrule and, uh, and reporting about it on my Twitter account. Um, also, you can check out the comic that I'm writing. Um, that's the book Entropy, and the, there's a link in the show notes. You can see all the behind-the-scenes. I'm kind of documenting my slow progress through creating a comic book for the first time myself and uh, learn a lot and sharing a lot of interesting things. So uh, I hope you join me on the journey. Speaking of journeys, you and I, we've been at this for a while. We've been friends, but also tumultuous enemies uh, well, well, we forged, not enemies, but we're forging a kind of rocky relationship on the back of the annuals. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's your classic hero, me, and anti-hero, you, uh, uh, d- dichotomy. Uh, but then there was a time that we got sucked back in time to the moment right before the meteor hit. How did we make it out of that? Could you, I mean, I remember, but why don't you tell our listeners how we survived the meteor hitting the planet? Oh, man. Well, um, you know, well, first of all, annuals don't count. Second of all... That's what um, makes you such a great anti-hero. I know, I know. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. You know, I was going to, um, you know, I was ready to just kind of embrace death when that meteor was ready to hit. Um, but then... I kind of thought of the old sage-like device of my, my Uncle Ben, you know, the great Uncle Ben who was murdered by Marvel and monkeys and everything else. Um, Uncle Ben, when um, when I was a kid, he used to take me um, play baseball down at the park and he had this, this beautiful bat that, um, you know, which is like in the sunlight would kind of like glitter and gleam. Um, and, you know, he would hit the old ball out and, you know, I'd go shag some fly balls. And, you know, there was one day I got a little older and, and um, you know, I said, Uncle Ben, can, can, can I hit to you now? And um, 
he's like, all right, I think I think your time has come. You, you know, I'll, I'll shag some fly balls, but you know, don't don't make me run too far, son. I mean, I'm uh, you know getting a little older. This is so exciting. I took the bat and I looked at it and like I'm like, man, this bat is like it's otherworldly, you know, like like these guy, you know, the the shimmering, like it almost looked like it had diamonds encrusted on it, Dan. So, um, you know, I I I hit a, 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 I tried to lob a little, you know, like a, like a sky, like a pop-up into the infield for him to get, and, you know, I wanted to kind of be a nice high, slow arc. And, and Dan, this ball, like it just like came off the bat, like a rocket. And it just like, I mean, it's horrifying to think about it. It just like went clean through uncle Ben. Oh. And he just like, you know, collapses on the field with a hole through his chest. Um, and, um, I mean, I'm just, just so distraught thinking about it. I went to go run to him. And as I started to run, the, 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 this bat transported me to this other dimension. And then I realized, like, I saw the same glimmering on the meteor, um, that was on the bat. And, and that's how we were able to save us. So I thought about that, that meteor sized hole through my uncle Ben caused by this baseball bat. And it reminded me of his other great advice to me, which is with great podcasts must also come amazing spider talk. 